Welcome to Punk Frockers, a community sewing podcast brought to you by Jenny Hassler and Beverly Baptiste. Okay. Hi, Jenny. How are you? I am doing really well today. How about you? I'm doing good. What have you been working on this week? So <laughs> I, uh, I did finish a, the, the uh, Style Arc Selena woven top that I was working on, the one with the ruffles around the sleeves and around the hem. And I did have to um, redo that hem because the ruffle, because of, I, I had mentioned in the last podcast that um, I caught some of it in my serger and it just couldn't be repaired. It left a big gap. And I'm like, why am I doing this? Just cut it off, start again. And yeah. I love it. It's it's wonderful. And I use this super soft um, navy. I love dark uh, blue. I love blue of all kinds. And um, I it, it's the super soft rayon twill. And um, it was only $6.45 a yard. It was a dead stock from um fabric merchants i got on fabric.com and it is so soft and lovely i don't think they have any left right now but they have other colors so how about you that's nice i've been um primarily working on uh upton dresses in different fabrics as i have been for the last several weeks but uh the last several days i've mostly focused on what i'm making for our uh hashtag pf who are you challenge um, because the t-shirt dress, the Tarly from Muna and Broad, I've so enjoyed putting together and I've got it down to a science now. I can do it in like an hour, including cutting it out and finishing the hemming. Um, a little bit less if it's a more stable knit. Is it a raglan or set-in sleeve? It's a set-in sleeve in this case, and it's a, a crew neck or a tee, sorry, a turtle. And I've done both the crew and turtle versions. And the most recent one I just made, I doubled the width of the um, crew neck neck band. Um, the it's a relatively narrow band. Usually, finished finished dimension is relatively narrow. And I decided I'd like to try it with something just a little bit wider and see how it looked. And the most recent one I made is a French terry which means it's it's weirdly stretchy. It's not as stretchy side to side as you might like. It's a little bit too much top to bottom in the case of this French Terry. And um, I lengthened the neckband as well by an inch and a half, hoping that would help me get all the way around the circumference and be able to pull it down over my um, oddly large sized head. So, um, and it seems to have been effective. I, I haven't tried it on yet, but I did. Once I put the neckband on, I just sort of pulled it on to see what would happen and it, it seems to have worked so I'm excited about this one it's a it's a weird pattern for me it's sort of a faux camouflage but with bright orange in it so that makes a lot of sense for camouflage um <laughs> but I but I really love the feel of the French terry it's like the most the drapiest French terry I have ever seen so it's like weird um, rayon French tear, a rayon cotton or something. Or I honest cotton? to goodness don't remember. I'd have to look it up. It came from Minerva um, in the UK, and I I just don't recall what its properties are right now. But it's it's just weirdly drapey, but still a beautiful hand. Very thick. Very it it feels really good. So I'm excited to have that. It's a little different from what I normally wear, but it 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 felt like the right kind of out of my wheelhouse 
to be a part of this. So That's I'm great. excited. I um I cut out mine um for this the the so liberated uh, hinterland dress, and I started the um, block printing on it, and uh, yeah, and so what I had done originally was I had planned on having sort of like a little garden of flowers with you know these sort of straight stems and the and these block printed flowers, but then embroidery all around, and I do a lot of sort of you know, um, freehand kind of embroidery and, um, not very structured, but what I found was that the, the look wasn't quite right for me. I did the front of, I guess the, this would be the, the right side of the bodice and then the left skirt. And I had originally just done this bottom part in here. And then on the skirt on the other side, and what I found, so that, that marking in there for the stems. So this is really great for listeners. Um, I'm showing Jenny um, this fabric that has the stamps on it and also has these, uh, this marking for the stems. That's, that's in that iron off. Um, yeah. Marker. You would embroider that I assume. Yes. So I would embroider those stems, but what I decided was I don't like the stems. I, since then I added a couple more stamps to make this more abstract looking. And so I'm right. just going to embroider around them and they may or may not look like flowers at all when I'm done, because obviously these are fairly, they almost look like smi weird smiley faces actually, but um, I'm hoping that kind of changes. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything about the smiley faces because the rule of thumb should be you shouldn't point out a thing that someone may not like if they can't change it. So, so I could see the smiley face of it, but I could also see the flower of it. And honestly, I could almost see orange slices. I know yeah. the, the images you printed were in blue, but I could see the interior of some fruit potentially as well. So I think the abstract is definitely going to be an overall view that you get. I think that's just amazing. I, I always, I, in fact, when I bought the hinterlands dress, I bought it because I thought, oh, I'm going to do potato printing or something uh -huh. similar on it. And then I realized I'm not good at that. I'm <laughs> carving things. I, I just can't do it. Mm. I'm, I'm dreadful at it. Um, because I am, but I thought it would be really neat to do. I think it's a great dress for that kind of treatment. I think so too. And the ink that I use is from Speedball and it's an oil-based ink, but it's specially for fabric and it can be washed, but you have to let it sit for a few days. Okay. Um, That's neat. That's better than heat treating or any of the other things you sometimes have to do with them. I like the idea of something that sets just through the, the nature of time passing. Yeah. I think after a week you can wash it. So I also cut the, um, the facings for the, the button band button for, yeah. and, um, and the cuffs out of a, like a turquoise colored linen. Okay. Um, to kind of go with that. So we'll see how it goes. That's excellent. I've also, I'd forgotten. I'd been working on another project. I've started making myself pencil skirts cause I found the perfect pattern. And when the patterns you patterns that, so this one, it's a weird pattern. Um, it's called pattern One Twenty One, adult pencil skirt. <laughs> <laughs> and it is from um, Pier Avenue Patterns, and it's available through fatquartersfabric.com, where fat is spelt P-H-A-T. 
Um, it is a pattern that uh, we'll link in the show notes, but if you go to the page for the pattern, if you sign up for their newsletter, it's free. If you don't, it's $5. And the big difference for me in pencil skirts I've previously made versus this one is that the back piece is wider than the front piece. And since I have a lot more butt than I do, <laughs> than I do anything else, it's helpful to me, I think, to have that piece be larger. And it means my side seams line up on my sides instead of what's previously happened where they, they line up a little forward of my, of my sides because um, they're stretching or a little back. I can't remember, but it's off-centered, right? And so I, I really enjoy it. I've, I've made it so far in black fun fur, a uh, jacquard double-sided animal print, um, a black wash stretch denim, a all over rainbow sequin, and uh, a rainbow sequin in a plaid design that is one of those ones you can brush up or down. So if you brush it down, it's rainbows. And if you brush it up, it's silver. Wow. So, <laughs> so it's fairly adventuresome. I feel like I need to make some sort of staple one, like buy a heavy black ponte knit or something to make a, a basic black instead of just the fur black skirt, <laughs> which feels like it's a specialty pencil skirt um, and some other things like that. But I find them useful because I like I like graphic tees and I'm a skirt person, not a pant person. So having a good pencil to put those with is, is really useful. I'll have to check that out because, um, I have essentially a pencil skirt, um, jean skirt, denim skirt that I had, um, ready to wear one from ages ago, maybe thrifted actually. And, um, I love to wear it with tights and boots in the wintertime. And then I can wear whatever I want for a top with it, mm -hmm. but I'd like it. I'd like to do some me made ones like that. Yeah. I I've enjoyed it very much. It's definitely for stretch fabrics, but I found like my black fun fur was a very minimally stretchy fabric and it's still, I was able to make it work. I had to make adjustments to the waistband size. Not surprisingly, when you got a minimal stretch, you're going to extend the size of the waistband, but it's, it's been very successful for me. I've only had one I'm not completely happy with, and that's the black stretch denim. And it's, I think it's because the black stretch denim I'm using was a, you know, $2 a yard clearance sort of a deal that even when I'm surging the edges, it feels like it's just ready to fray. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not the right, it's not the right kind of denim. It's okay. some sort of discount denim that I, I don't know what its purpose really was. So I'll end up updating that with a better, a better denim, but I like it. I also like the idea of doing a stretch denim where I do the top stitching and all the other things on it to make it look more like a denim skirt than like a pull on pencil skirt. Right. Right. So let's get started with what we plan to talk about today. Today, we want to discuss some of our favorite ideas for personalizing our makes. And the ideas we have for personalizing are in addition to the personal touches inherent in every self-made item. So that's true for anything. Even um, when I think of it, I automatically think, yeah, when I stick a unicorn on something, that's obviously personalized. But the truth is, if you're selecting a crisp white linen or a black wide whale corduroy or whatever the fabric is, whether it's printed or not, textured or not, you're making a decision about how you want that garment to reflect you in some way. And so, yeah, it's definitely true. No matter how simple or complicated the garment or the fabric, you've already made choices that are personalizing. That's right. 
But we did want to talk about some of our favorite ways of personalizing things. And um, one thing that I'll talk about right away is that I I enjoy hand embroidery. And I'm going to actually mention something. I have um, some artwork, some embroidery artwork that is in a show right now. And I'll put a link to, it's the first uh, art show I've That's ever amazing. That's amazing. I love yeah, it. But I'll put the, um, <laughs> I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, but so my experience is with embroidery for artwork and not really on clothing. So I'm just starting on clothing. So I'm trying things that may not, that may not work in the end. You know, they may wash weird. I've never had to worry about how things wash. Um, and so I, I, I can only speak for my experience, but my experience with anything is to just try it and see what happens. I think that's a good approach to most things. I mean, it's it's how you're going to learn it, right? If you hesitate before even stepping in, right, you can talk yourself out of even trying. And I think maybe people who are a little smarter than me might actually do a little research before they try it, but whatever. <laughs> research me, church. That doesn't seem just important. fabric. It really so. is. Um, I have some pictures that I'm going to include in the show notes too, that has my little, um, hand embroidery kit that I keep and I keep it. It's this little two tiered, um, plastic bin. That's so easy to keep that has the needles that I use in there, some markers, and it has the, um, I use pearl cotton. Um, I have, and you can see in the, you'll be able to see in the third picture there, I have an extra bin that has a whole bunch of embroidery floss. And if you have the impatient, the patience to work with embroidery floss, I'm more power <laughs> to you. <laughs> I do not. Uh, I like, uh, the pearl cotton because it's very simple. You're working with, you know, single strand. You don't have to figure out how many strands to use or anything. Uh, it's very easy. Um, just plain cotton. The one thing I guess I do, I should worry about is if that's going to shrink. I don't know if anybody knows that, but I haven't, I don't know. I never washed anything that I embroidered before. So we'll see. Uh, I'm not sure. I think some cottons do shrink. I've heard that you can steam them before you start using them to pre-shrink them. Hmm. So it's a little late if you've already embroidered, but as a future note, if it does shrink, first off, remember that texture is an amazing and brilliant thing on a garment and shrinking would just create texture. Just like when you quilt, and fabrics shrink around as they get washed more and more, you end up with some textured, additional texture on a fabric. Same thing can be true for your um, your uh, embroidery threads, pearl cotton. Um, but if you try steaming them in advance, that may help as well. Yeah. I think that the way that you embroider is you, you don't have to worry about that, right? Because you use polyester thread. It's absolutely true. So I'm a machine embroiderer. When I was young, I hand embroidered a lot, but my hands really struggle with it. And I've recently realized that part of why my hands struggle with handwork is because I am, I binge do everything that I do. If I decide to make underwear, I make 30 pairs of underwear. If I decide to um, knit, I'm going to knit an entire Afghan in an evening if I can pull it off. And so my joints, um, which are already a little arthritic, really suffer when I binge do things. So I, over time, quit doing any handwork, which I used to do quite a bit of. But I bought a sewing machine at the start of the pandemic that does amazing embroidery. It'll digitize the designs for me, do stuff like that. But I also purchased designs pre-digitized by artists on Etsy, for example, um, or I'll take a design that I've created in software like Procreate for the iPad and pay someone to digitize that design for me 
so that I can turn it into a, um, an embroidery pattern. As well, even most simple embroidery machines come with, heck, a lot of sewing machines do as well, come with some fancy stitches in them, mm -hmm. some of which are embroidery-like and occasionally include things like simple alphabets. So that's something that I do a fair amount of. Sometimes to sell, I attend um, a farmer's market in the spring and summer where I sell goods that I make, um, but most often I'm making them for myself and my own amusement. But I've got some awesome machine embroidery tips for you. Great. These fall in that same category of tips that I, I traditionally provide our audience, things you probably shouldn't listen to me on, but occasionally some of them are real tips. <laughs> so one, the first one I'm going to give you is always check your bobbin before you start. And that's a real honest to God tip because it is super frustrating to find out, say halfway through, that you need new bobbin thread. This happens to me almost every time I do an embroidery. I skip the part where I'm supposed to check the bobbin, but I get straight to the part where it's going to screw up what I'm doing. So when just, you <laughs> just for just for clarity, so when you do this, you put um, your thread on the machine and then it goes for like, like how long? Like, well, it depends. So when I'm doing something that's got an alphabet on it, I'm probably sitting at my machine and pressing the presser foot to keep an alphabet stitch running through for some alphabet stitches. For others, um, it depends on how many colors and how complicated the embroidery is, but I'll frequently set a thing, step away for 10 or 20 minutes and then come back and then change a thread out, push a button and step away for 10 or 20 minutes and come back, depending on how complicated it is. And the bobbin thread for machine embroidery is almost always a much lighter weight thread. And you can buy those usually in pre-wound bobbins um, by the boxes of 50 or 100 on Amazon, for example, or at, um, I think we uh, Wawak, also W-A-W-A-K.com also sells the pre-wound embroidery threads for machine embroidery. And most commonly, I just use white in my bobbin, though I think you can get the pre-rounds also in um, black, but I'm usually using just a, a plain white on the bottom. Okay. When you do have to change your bottom partway through, don't do it the way that I, I traditionally do, which is to stop, raise the needle, peek under what you're embroidering, pop the bobbin out, put a new bobbin in, put the case back on, and then just start going again. It's not really a great way to go. You're going to end up having to tear out a bunch of stitches, take the whole thing off anyway, and put the bobbin in correctly. That shortcut is not a good one. It is one I use frequently. Um, fresh needles are your friend. I change my needle. I sew so frequently that I change my needle pretty much every day that I'm sewing, because I'm probably going to go through three or four garments in a day anyway. But if I'm embroidering, it's especially important that I start with a fresh needle. It makes a difference because you're, you're looking for crisp, clean holes. And if you have a needle that's got jags on it or has another issue that's going to cause the thread to break, you're going you're gonna to be filled with regret again. Do you follow um, the same rules for needles as you do like in regular sewing, like using a ballpoint for knits and a... Uh... So... If you, if you had to guess, Beverly, would you say <laughs> that I probably follow some set of rules for needles or, and this is another option that's out there. I'm just going to toss it out there. Do you think I just reach into the needle box and go, oh, there's a new needle and stick it in the machine? Because it's probably more likely to be that second one. I do keep my leather needles segregated. So I'm always leather needle on sequins. 
which doesn't sound like the natural companion for a leather needle, but I use them for sequins. On my other ones, I honest to God, half the time I don't look, (laughs) I just stick a needle in the machine and assume probably it's fine. Um, Generally, I find a fresh needle, no matter what kind of needle it is, is better than an old needle. (laughs) So so you have pretty decent results. I recommend following what I suspect is your method and matching the (laughs) needle to the material. I'm, I'm not going to say that's what I do. I know I have ballpoint needles. I don't know if any of them are in any of my machines. And I've been sewing nothing but knit goods for the last week and a half. Yeah, that's pretty bad. So that's more advice. It's not probably bad follow. if it, as long as it works, right? It's I mean, it's, it's working, but I think it could be better. <laughs> Okay. I, I just never really learned about needles. I've been sewing for over 30 years. And I don't know if when the number gets bigger, does the hole get smaller? <laughs> Or the opposite. I'm not clear on that. I have a little booklet, but why would I read that? <laughs> I just sort of throw in the no, needle that I, I get. And it gets bigger, the, the hole gets bigger, right? Because like I a, don't know. hundred needle is like for jeans and stuff. And like a 60 is for silk, I think. Is that the way that works? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I've never learned that. So, and I don't think I could see how big they are um, <laughs> when I look at them. So um, I have a little booklet. That, that came from my Schmetz needle people. Uh-huh. Um, it's probably one you can get off of their website, maybe even get them to send to you for free that tells you how to use them and what all the things mean. I've just never really learned. Uh- <laughs> well, this is not an educational podcast anyhow. Thank so. goodness. Although here's one piece of great education for you, Schmetz needles, which are my favorite personal brand. Those are available in bulk on Amazon. And they can come in bulk where you buy a particular type and you get 10 five packs of that one type for $30, which is a great price. Or you can do what I do, which is to get the mixed variety pack of needles in a 10 pack. (laughs) That way I have a variety of possible needles I could use, which probably increases the odds that I will accidentally be using the correct needle for what I'm sewing. So that's another option. Um, And finally, when when you're centering things, I just finished making a dress where I embroidered the waistband and I I did a test embroidery, which is not like me at all. I did a completely separate piece of fabric. I did a test embroidery on it and then I folded it in half to know exactly where the middle was. I folded my garment in half so I could mark the middle. And then I started my embroidery at the start point after you took the test piece in the middle, lined it up with the middle, unfolded it, started it there, hit the button, started embroidering, finished, and I was off center by two inches. <laughs> and I'm still not 100% clear on how, though it could be related to the part where I changed the bottom part way through mm. and had to tear a bunch of stuff out and start over. I may have misaligned a little bit, but not two inches. So it was very confusing to me. Um, the solution when you're off center is to add a motif. So I, I added several little flowers or something on the end so that it would look centered. Your alternative solution is um, wear a sweater. No one will know. And so there are always <laughs> solutions for where you've screwed it up. I'm sure there's a third alternative I haven't thought of, but I employed both. I did decorative uh, stitching to pretend like I meant to do that because that's my goal, right? In the end, if I make a mistake, I want it to look on purpose. And putting a little decorative stitch at the end makes it look on purpose. And a sweater means no one would guess anyway. So it was really pretty perfect. So there are your tips for machine embroidery. Those are great. Those are great. <laughs> If you like complicated designs, um, unless you really want to spend a lot of time embroidering, you probably would much prefer doing a machine embroidery. But if you know the, you've seen the kind of stuff I do is very, very simple 
So yeah. uh, it lends itself to hand hand embroidery. The one thing I didn't know about, I thought about this halfway through, is should I have put something on the back of it or something? Like you- so I know on machine embroidery, you definitely would, in part because it's so heavy. Whatever you're doing on a machine embroidery, you can assume it's probably going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth over the same spaces repeatedly. It's sort of like you can end up with a patch-like effect or other thing, and you do need a stabilizer to help hold it up. But if you're doing um, scattered embroidery by hand where you don't have a lot of you don't have a lot of things going on on the back. I don't think you need the stabilization to keep it flat or, or any of those things. You're probably safe where you are. I will report back when I have <laughs> next week, when we do our reveal, I will report back. Awesome. And I'm very excited to hear the one after that, where you have already laundered it. And we learn more about the shrinkability of, uh, of pearl cotton. I think that's going to be an exciting one to know as well. Yeah, that'll be interesting. So absolutely. So what are some other really good options for embellishment or additional um, personalization in a garment? Well, one that I really would like to do that you are also, this is something you are great at is color blocking. Oh my gosh. I love a color block. (laughs) I mean, and, and I think you, you make really good choices where you mix solids with prints and stuff to, uh, I like what you do with the, um, there's a couple of them of the sage brushes where you've done this and it's, you know, where the yolk is separate and it kind of, it kind of makes a line in the body. And I I like that. It's really cool. I think those are wonderful. That is the one where my husband gave me one of my favorite hashtags ever which is cute, but off-putting. Um, I came out wearing a dress that had a black yoke with a black ruffle and black sleeves, really crisp, beautiful, dark, clear black, just a good black. And the rest of the dress is bright orange with white and black zebras on it. And, and I walk out as I always do when I need him to take photographs. And I'm like, honey, look, he turned around, and he looked and he sort of paused perhaps longer than normal and said, it's nice. And I'm like, what does that mean? Tell me what you really think. And he goes, well, it's, it, it's cute, but off-putting. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, what's off-putting about it? And I finally figured it out for him. What's off-putting is that stark black contrast with anything else where I've got that real line of demarcation for it, which I adore. So I continue to do regularly. <laughs> um, but the consequences that, that cute, but off-putting is one of my favorite Instagram hashtags. So much a favorite. I even made iron-ons that people can apply to shirts that say cute but off-putting in both black and white so you can select the color you need to go with the garment you might be making (laughs) and so if you respond to one of our posts saying I want a cute but off-putting iron-on I will send one to you for free hey that's a good (laughs) it's a secret prize for listeners that's great that's great they have to have been paying attention I think also just um, making fabric choices. So, you know, because this is all about who you are and like, for example, in mine, I chose linen fabric because I just love the the relaxed feel of linen. So the fabric choice itself is actually a way of personalizing. Like even if I see a dress that someone else is wearing and if they're wearing it, let's say in sequins, I'm probably <laughs> not going to make it with sequins because that's, I would I wouldn't feel comfortable wearing it. I tend to go the the opposite direction with my fabric selections. Mm-hmm. I do love a good linen. I own quite a few linen dresses that are real favorites of mine. Um, but in the end, if there's a way to make it sparkly or furry 
or leathery, I'm probably going to give it some thought. It may not be my day-to-day wear. It depends on how wild it is. Um, Because I found, for example, when I wore a sequin skirt to the office, (laughs) I left sequin confetti everywhere I went. (laughs) Because I didn't hem it because it doesn't need hemming. But occasionally you're going to lose some sequins and we're still finding them. So I I don't wear sequins to the office any longer, but I am planning to wear fur to the office this week because a fun fur skirt with matching jacket, how can you not wear that to the office? It just seems obvious to me. (laughs) So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I think, I think for me, the texture is king. I like a lot of texture. Yeah. So do you have a favorite fabric to wear? Like, do you, that you that you feel comfortable in? So I feel comfortable in almost everything because if I don't, I get rid of it. Mm-hmm. I am I am a super big fan of comfort. I don't think you should wear clothing that make you uncomfortable um, unless your purpose is that. And I can understand there there are some things you wear where you're like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up in this polyurethane because I that's a look I'm going for. And I know there's discomfort associated with it, but I, I generally am not that person. I'm going to wear things that are comfortable. Um, in terms of my everyday day-to-day wear, I'm most likely wearing something in um, a poplin or a quilting cotton for most of my dresses. That's the my primary fabric for those things. And then a cotton lycra blend is my most common knit dressed combination. I like a heavier knit fabric than I do um, a woven. I like generally lighter weight wovens if I can find them, but they're they're a little harder for me to find locally. So I usually go with the more mid-weight, like the quilting cotton or a lawn or a a poplin. How about you? Other than linen, which is a I go-to. Mean, I, I do like um I do like knit fabrics as well. Um I've made I think I usually like a, a cotton lycra jersey. Um I had yeah, I, I like the way that, but I like it to be also a midweight. I don't like a lightweight. I don't really, um, I don't really like rayon or viscose jersey. Um, I maybe it's because I've n- I've not had really good quality. Like maybe if I had nicer quality of the like a, a rayon jersey, I would mm-hmm. I would like it better. But in my experience, it's it's like a little too drapey or something. It ha- feels hangy on me. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just don't care. Maybe clingy too a little bit. Um, so, so I don't really like that, but I do prefer natural fibers, but I do have, like, I have some PJs that I've made out of some, uh, quilting cotton that just, yeah. really, you know, I think quilting cotton is fun. I like, I, I made a uh, sagebrush top out of quilting. cotton. Actually, you'd like the sagebrush top. It's, um, it's got koi, koi, Japanese koi fish on it. Um, I would love it. Yeah. And it's like, it's a Navy back kind of the background colors. Well, there's a lot of Navy in it and red and it's, it's beautiful. Did you color block it with a lovely um, red or orange uh, yoke? It's it's all exactly the same fabric. (laughs) (laughs) What well, we I had to ask. Get together and sew together one day, and we can <laughs> influence. I love it. I agree with you on the jersey. I think my problem with rayon jerseys um, and some lighter weight jerseys is that they don't hold the structure of the garment very well. So you have to have selected a garment that's intended to have that level of right. drape. And a lot of knit patterns that I come across that I like are more structured than that. They're not really meant to have 
that level of drapiness to them. So I, I think that's probably part of where the problem is with those. Probably. So, yeah. Now let's talk custom fabric. Cause that's another one of those that I really adore. And I love it so much that I now design and work with other designers to make fabrics for my own little fabric company called kickash.com, which we'll link. But I started off with actually having fabric designed by a local artist for me to have a costume made to wear to Dragon Con, which is this amazingly large cosplay convention in Atlanta, Georgia. And I had a designer friend who made a Where's Waldo of cosplayers for this convention, where the background for it was what's called the Marriott carpet, which if you're familiar with Dragon Con, there's a carpet that the Marriott Hotel had for many decades, and they tore it out one year, and it created for the con goers, the cult of the Marriott carpet. Google it. It's fascinating. But she used that as the background that all the cosplayers were up against. And I had fabric printed at spoonflower.com. And then my daughter, because I wasn't sewing at the time, made that into um, a Victorian skirt for me that I wore with a red and white striped blouse so I could carry around my own potted plant to hide behind as the Waldo in my own Where's Waldo costume. And I really loved that. I thought that was amazing. Very funny to me. It made me really happy. It's something I, I still own. Um, and still whip out for conventions from time to time. The next thing I did was when I returned to sewing, I almost immediately thought, oh, I could put things on fabric and I could make them into clothing. That would be so awesome. And so I had a local artist design or illustrate pictures of both of my grandchildren, which I printed in a checkerboard pattern on fabric and had made into a Pembroke dress in probably August or September of 2019. And it is to this day, one of my favorite dresses. I still have it. And that Spoonflower fabric um, started an addiction for me. I I spent many thousands of dollars at Spoonflower um, before I started having my own fabric printed by a small printer for my store. Um, but one of, one of the things that I learned from them is that first off, they give you a, don't give you, they sell you a swatch kit. (laughs) Although if you're lucky, you can win it and contest on their Instagram page from time to time. And the swatch kit, which I'm going to be showing here. And I know it's, it's a, it's a sound medium, not an eye medium. So, um, I'm going to try and describe it, but the swatch kit comes in a little box. That's probably three inches by seven inches long or so. And it contains in it a couple dozen little, um, four inch by four inch, three and a half inch by three and a half, like post-it, little bigger than a post-it note squares, each of which have a square of the fabric that's printed with dots, like on a twister game, but it's all the colors going from red through black in various gradations for each color. And they do it for each and every fabric that they sell so that you can see how those look on different fabrics. And on the back, each one tells you whether it's a woven or a knit and what the fiber content is, how wide the printed area is, what the weight is. Um, So for example, on this satin, which is woven, it's 75 grams per square meter and what people usually use it for and what the care instructions are. So it's a really nice little set that shows you everything and gives you an idea of what the colors might look like on different fibers. The one thing I have noticed as a caution um, about Spoonflower, whom I 
I, I adore them. I really do. I think they're marvelous for small sewers who want to be able to put together a really neat collection of designs they've created or buy from other artists is that the, um, the dark and vibrant colors don't always come out dark and vibrant when they're printed for you. And I've never had a black that really came out black. They're all kind of a dark charcoaly gray. Um, which isn't a problem if that's your expectation. But when you look at the images on the screen, it sometimes shows a black background. And when you receive a charcoal background, it doesn't necessarily fit with what you're trying to do. So that's important to keep in mind. I've had my best success with lighter background designs. And they have a giant stable of people who are offering their own designs up there. They do contests every month around themes. So they might have a month where they're they're soliciting patterns that are succulents. And then that month you can look at the dozens and dozens and vote for the dozens and dozens of patterns that do that. So it's, it's really neat. And if you design your own, you can also upload those and purchase them yourself. You don't have to allow them to be for sale. Even they can just be private things that are just for you as well. Um, so that's a really neat place to go. Have you gotten a knit fabric from them? I have, I have gotten from them. Um, I'm flipping through to see what they're calling them now. Um, I have gotten Minky, I have gotten the Cotton Spandex Jersey, the Modern jer Jersey, and the Organic Cotton Knit. Um, so of those, the Organic Cotton Knit has been my favorite, even though it's 100% cotton, which means you don't get the recovery you might like from it, but it feels so good to wear. Now, when you stretch that, do you see the white a lot or... You know, um, so on the things I've made it in, they've been all over printed with no white, with no white in the pattern. Mm -hmm. And when you stretch them, you see a little bit of white, but not a lot. So that's what I've made my Pembroke dresses out of. And those are ones where they have, I don't know that they have negative ease. At the time I made the dress, the pattern didn't come up to my hip size. And I I did not add enough material. I intended it to have negative ease. And when I'm wearing it, you don't see white or white banding or flashing oh, or anything on it. So I think it's a pretty good print. Yeah. Um, I think if you were doing something really bodycon, you might find that that answer was different. But for something that's intended to skim your body, that'll only stretch periodically, maybe not, you know, really tight. Mm -hmm. I think it would be just fine. I've also bought quite a bit of their... Um, their basic woven cotton, which I think they call a poplin. And then they've got one that they consider to be like their quilting cotton. And I don't remember what they call it, but I bought quite a bit of that as well. Um, so I, I got that sample pack as well. But in addition to that, because I was looking for a company that might be able to print something. I also found this company called Contrato. We'll, we'll link these in the show notes. Um, and um, they had a similar packet um, that they sent. Um, but in their case, the way that they, that they sent the swatches is that all of the swatches um, have printed on them the same thing, but it's not just dots. It's actually like a, a, a complicated print. So you can kind of see, okay, here's an area that's solid. Here's an area that's very thin here. You know, and so you can see how well that type of print will do on the various on the various fabrics. And I'm trying to look here to see if they have, I'm sure they have knit fabrics in here. Um, they, ha they do have a quite a variety of them. Um, this was just, I think I just got their, um, their natural 
what do they call it? Natural fabric. So um, I didn't get their, their poly fabrics, but I bet you those are real nice too. Um, but they have all different t- cotton twill. They have silk Georgette. They have silk organza. They have uh, denim cotton, and then they have organic cotton, silk satin. I don't know that that's a nice one too. So um, I'll, I don't remember. I think Spoonflower was a better price though. I think it was, you know, it, it's possible. I find the pricing varies somewhere between 15 and $30 a yard, depending on the material you're getting across most of the companies I've experienced. Okay. Um, I think you can also find, there are a bunch of Facebook groups. They're usually private groups because a lot of them do trade in things that violate copyright law. <laughs> so they'll take someone's copyrighted material like Marvel and create little cute characters out of it and stick it on fabric to sell to you. Um, I tend to avoid those because as an accountant, I'm super rules oriented. Um, But a lot of those companies do have designs that are just coming straight out of the imaginations of the people who created the design. So there's some opportunity there, even if the copyrighted material is not something that um, that you would be comfortable buying in the same way that I'm not comfortable purchasing it. So there are places you can look there. Um, Etsy also has a bunch of fun independent fabric designs that you can find. And in addition, they have some sort of unique designs that you might be able to find that are um, from other countries, which I, I completely love. Uh, and finally, Fiverr, F-I-V-E-R-R.com, we'll link it in the show notes, is a, uh, a community resource, sort of a gig economy idea of being able to go in and find graphic designers or other people who can make your dream come true. So it's a place you could go and say, hey, I've got these three photographs of family members. Could you create a watercolor illustration for me? suitable for a fabric repeat. And um, you can find artists there who would be willing to do it for between, you know, five and $300, depending on what you're looking for and what kind of rights you want. Okay. So let's get into some other Mm -hmm. ideas for ways that people can personalize their, their projects. There was a recent post from So Over 50 that had a whole bunch of personalized ideas. And one of them that I thought looked so cute a person had made a label. This is what I think they did. I don't know exactly, but they had made a label out of plain fabric and then they added a, they stamped a scissors on it, a couple pairs of scissors on it, and then sewed it to the collar of a shirt. I like it. Like applicated on top of it. And then ha- there's hand stitching all around the collar too. I thought it looked beautiful. I love it. I've been playing a lot with putting labels on the outside of my clothing recently and I, I think that's just, that can be a very fun look. It's, it's definitely something that's attention getting and um, it's really clever to have made your own. I have a bunch of twill tape that I bought a whole bunch of stamps and fabrics, uh, fabric safe dyes to go with, with the idea being, or inks that I would uh, make a bunch of twill ribbons that I could apply to things. It turns out I'm not that ambitious. I just wanted to own the things, but, <laughs> but I have, I have played with that idea myself. I just never, I didn't get much further than unboxing and doing a few test stampings and being like, yeah, that's awesome. I could do that. And then moving on. <laughs> I think that would be really good. Like t- I could see that at the top of a, um, of a pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sort of, sort of all the places that you see designers put their name. Absolutely. And designers are really proud of what they've done. We should be proud too. That's true. Um, some other things in that, in that post, the one person had, um, they had a lining in the pocket of their jeans and they dog eared the, the pocket. So you could see the lining. It looked really ah, cute. That's adorable. And then somebody had 
um, stitched on their initials, like a signature of, of a painting or something. I thought that was great. That That is awesome. That is one where the machine can be really handy for that. I purchased an alphabet mm -hmm. embroidery that would let you stitch on and make it look like hand embroidery without the effort of doing the hand embroidery, but would give you sort of that look as, as something if you wanted to sign off on it. That's clever. Now, can you, for your embroidery machine, can you like, if you wrote a signature or whatever, could you just take that? Yeah. Do a, yeah. Okay. You can make a file out of that. And, and absolutely. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. I can send it to it with my phone and then it will, it will figure out how to do it. Most embroidery machines, mine is, mine is fairly high end. Um, many embroidery machines won't do that, but you would still be able to send it to someone on Etsy or Fiverr.com and ask them to digitize it for a fee and be able to create the appropriate file type for your system. For okay. sure. Wow. That's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> a couple other ideas are messing with belt loops. So there was, a like making in the back of the jeans, the picture was, there was where there might be one belt loop. Normally there were four belt loops and they made like, like it looked like a W kind of. Oh, wow. Like two and two, like that sort of. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> so idea. yeah. Okay. So what other ideas do you have for personalizing garments? So I change, I take a garment that already has pleats or gathers and I'll switch it up. A good example of this is the trillium dress, which has a series of three very tiny pleats on either side of the center. Mm -hmm. And I have been known to take that one and either put one large box pleat at the front or to gather it or to cut it a little bit wider and set in three sets of box pleats or something similar just to create a different look. And I've done the same with my sagebrush top where I'll, I'll, pleat the ruffle that goes across the front mm. instead of gathering it I'll do a series of pleats on it going across the front to create a different look so I think that's another direction you can go well these are good ideas because I I actually really don't like gathering like I mm -hmm. don't I don't like doing it I um I've tried a few different ways I tried it on my uh serger and that was a nightmare I just I don't know if it was the I mean I got it to, but it just it took too much thread to undo, like it was too tight for what I needed. And then, um, I don't know. So I think I like, do, do you have a method of, of gathering that maybe is like, I've heard about the, uh, like putting a piece of yarn and then doing a zigzag. I've not done that. Have you done that? So I use dental floss for that. And I okay. use the minty flavor. That way I get a lovely scent sensation as well <laughs> as I pull the floss out. But I, I use the dental floss and zigzag method. But the truth is I most often use the tried and true um, long stitch length, parallel row of stitches, mm. pull the bobbin thread on both of them evenly while pinning at the quarter and the it it slays me I don't care for it and I think that's truthfully part of why why on my sage brushes I started doing pleats instead of gathers is because I'm like oh my you. god I hate gathering and, I hate it and, and I can never get it to look like it, it's never quite even when I do it I don't know I think I like the pleats better the the parallel lines really do the trick for me in terms of having it be even but um you do as two an or example, three lines I do too. Yeah. And I love, um, I love the Wilder gown by Friday Pattern Company. And it has so much built in ease. I'm not even the largest size by far, which is uncommon in most patterns. 
I max it out. Um, but in theirs, I, I don't even come close to maxing it out given the ease on it. But when you've got three tiers of gathering, I mean, tears is right. By the end of it, <laughs> I, I am completely destroyed. And so I, I have only made, and I've only made three of them, which, which sounds like it didn't really destroy me properly, but, <laughs> but remember I'd been so 20 of anything I make. So if I've only made three, it's a clear sign that I don't love the gathering, Yeah, <laughs> but I do all of it with a, with a parallel row of stitches and I find it to be pretty successful. Well, one thing I did want to mention, you know, some people have talked a bit about, um, you know, basically they've been sewing for a long time, their wardrobe is full and they don't, you know, kind of maybe aren't so interested in sewing up more things for their wardrobe. I want to encourage people if they'd like to be part of our challenges, they can, they can alter things that they have. Mm -hmm. You can personalize, you know, something that you have already just to introduce yourself to us. We don't want to, you know, make people feel like they have to make more than they're comfortable making or buy new things or whatever. We just want people to join us and have a good time sewing. So what do you think about that? I, I think that's absolutely true. And I, I think I'd go even a little bit step further, especially for the who are you challenge. It's a perfect challenge for saying, this is the wedding dress I made for myself eight years ago. And it's really meaningful to me. And it tells you a lot about who I am and sharing a picture of it. Or this is the amazing dress I made for my granddaughter that helped her feel like the powerful little scientist she is or whatever else it looks like. So I think there's a lot of different approaches that don't have to involve making something new. Um, another one that I, I think could be awfully fun with that is uh, making doll clothing or other small makeables. If you felt like making a thing, that are representative of uh, you or your aesthetic or your life or whatever it is you'd like to share with the group. Please just participate. And um, I can't wait to see what people come up with. Absolutely. And um, as we're recording this, it's actually on the day that we launched. And um, we are so grateful for the number of you who have subscribed, who have downloaded, who have commented, who've already shared about the podcast or done other things like that. We really appreciate that you took the time and time is so valuable and so fleeting. And we're willing to spend that time listening to us and engaging with us regarding this. So thank yeah. you very much for your support. It's been amazing. Jenny and I kind of thought maybe we'd be the only two listening. I mean, my mom too, but... <laughs> I mean, obviously your mom, but, <laughs> but we got a few more than that and I really appreciate it. And, uh, we both do. So, um, I guess, I guess that's all we have to say. So we will see, see you next Tuesday. Tuesday. The punk rockers podcast is created, performed and edited by Beverly Baptiste and Jenny Hassler. Our artwork and music is designed, written and performed by Jim Duran. See you next See you Tuesday. Next Tuesday. <laughs> oh my God. On my end, it sounded like we did it. Did we do it? I don't think so. But <laughs> oh crap. On my end, it sounded perfect.